guys, uh, we have a little slide, I think, picture or something to offer this morning. Jeff's going to throw up. There it is. Uh, Phil has been, he just told me, I didn't know it had been 20 years in the making of deer camp at Ebenezer. I knew 15, 16 years, so there were a few years in there before I was aware of it. Um, deer camp, when I went through it 15, 16 years ago, um, was at Paul Inns Deer Camp. Uh, he was kind enough to loan it to Phil to allow men to gather up there and enjoy a weekend and enjoy. I don't know if that's the right word to use or not. Explore, maybe. A weekend of uh, self with a group of men. Deer camp, I think, as Phil started talking about it when we met, when we would go on the weekends and meet, and then Monday for 12 weeks, we would gather afterwards uh, to discuss what happened at deer camp and just kind of continue to build that community. And there would be new guys that would come in and, and, and join in that, and it continued to grow over the last 20 years to the point that uh, the last couple of times I have been, there's insufficient parking because of the number of men that show up. You're having to park down the street, around the corner at another church in somebody's yard. Uh, there's not enough room for men to go and stay for the night. They have to come up for the day and then go back and maybe come back. And those are typically alumni, not people that are there first-time deer campers. First-time deer campers are always accommodated. But out of that and the interest, uh, Phil has had a plan, a vision, for now several years of an expansion of deer camp, uh, a bunkhouse, a larger meeting area. Uh, we had um, a pavilion that was built a few years ago up there that accommodated larger groups to be able to meet in rain. Uh, but now they're looking for something maybe with a little more shelter in a place that you can break down with some smaller groups within this uh, structure that's up here. Guys, it's to say that it's uh, it's past needed would be an understatement. Phil has a wonderful ministry, and we're privileged to be able to participate and have him come teach us each week. Uh, as he has faithfully for 13, 14 years now. He's asking for help. He has an idea of how to get this built, and he wants participation from us and from other deer campers and those that have been involved in his ministry. September, September uh, this will be unveiled to others that are not here uh, at Men's Roundtable. He has an idea of how to raise the money, and he needs our help to reach out, each one of us reaching out to maybe 10 men, uh, and, and not necessarily an extravagant amount of money from each individual, but for those who have attended deer camp, there are sufficient people there. If everybody will contribute, this can be built. What really amazed me, and Phil, I'm just sorry, I'm going to have to ask, I want you to divulge your age. Not a problem. 87. No. <laughs> Not mine. 87. Not mine. <laughs> Not mine. Uh, I actually tell that to waitresses every once in a while. She looks at me and she says, are you willing? It kind of hurts my feelings. <laughs> 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 Sixty-nine, uh, February sixth. Yep. I know it's my wife's birthday. How many of us at that age are looking for something to do? I don't know. 
when we get there, John, when we get there, we'll be thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the start of something new. And, and Phil has said that, I mean, he's, he's living in Fairhope. Me out of the water. How, how much longer is he going to keep driving in Jackson to do this? But he's got an energy like I've never seen. We talked about it earlier this year, right? I'd love to Tim's funeral in Memphis. Uh, it's amazing that you just continue to go to what you do. And I hope God continues to bless you. And I hope September 21st, please help pass the word at the Motor Club. This will be unveiled. And that's when we're going to try to really kick off fundraising for this. To get this new coal barn, cabin, bunkhouse, kitchen area. Because now the first time I went, we were still cooking on a gas-fired outdoor cooking something or another. Boy Scouts had something better than that. Um, just this is a wonderful opportunity for us to help fill and, and help honestly ourselves for those of you that have been to Deer Camp and have reaped the rewards of it and those that have yet to go. But September 21st, we'll continue to remind you as uh, we get closer to that. Please keep that in your mind and pray about it. And I hope that you can help him and help us um, see this to fruition. With that, I say that we uh, continue in the series. Joshua, into the land, being the man. Culture, man. Woo, culture. Cancel culture. Anti-culture. Thick weeds right there. Vaccinated, don't vaccinate. Guy cut me off in traffic this morning. Man, I lost my Christianity for about, well, I lost it for a while. <laughs> then I looked up and saw the sunrise. Thank God, he is bigger. Kind of wonder sometimes. Culture is it something that God placed here for us to be reminded that we need Him? We can't overcome our differences. We can't see past the differences without Him. Just my thought. We will open for the prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to gather here. I thank you for Phil, for his commitment, Lord, to spreading your word, to healing men, to helping restore families, restoring lives, restoring his life. I ask that you continue to bless him. I ask for your blessings upon us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. myself turned on here. A little harder to get turned on these days than normal. It's that age. <laughs> All right. Good to go. Good to go. Um, I appreciate uh, Joe's words um, this morning. And, and um, I would say that, man, it is um, uh, God's grace that he continues to um, give me my health, uh, the energy that I have. Um, I don't feel a day over 30. Uh, and um, in fact, uh, Chris Causey, a good friend, uh, and I are headed to Huntsville this afternoon to do a deer camp retreat up there with our good friend Nathan Eldridge um, as he uh, wants to begin uh, creating the community-like ministry that we have here uh, in Huntsville. Uh, next weekend, we have fish camp um, in um, Fairhope. Um, and then toward the end of the month, taking 29 guys to Alaska 
uh, for uh, a week. So uh, God is good. And I praise Him, and um, so appreciative uh, that I, I'm in my right mind, uh, just, despite what Carla thinks. And uh, I, I just love you guys and, and love doing what we do. So this morning, uh, I want to offer you a song. Um, and as Joe mentioned, uh, we're in uh, um, uh, issue number nine of the ten. And issue number nine is culture. And, uh, you know, one of the things about culture is God doesn't apologize in any way for the difficult environment that he places his church. In fact, he says, I'm going to place you in a difficult place in order that my name would be um, increased. And that's been the history of the church. When does the church grow best? In crisis. A song um, that I um, have heard before, and, you know, I, I love uh, having some fun with our songs. And, you know, we, we, we've had country songs and Christian songs and all that. But I felt so compelled that this song this morning was especially appropriate um, one is the name of the group is Jesus Culture. <laughs> Jesus Culture. But wow, the power of this song, Break Every Chain, is, is the prayer of all of our hearts um, that are Jesus followers. And it's the, the, the words of the song are very simple. It's on the back of your notes. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain. And toward the end of the song, um, it, uh, there's this line. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. But may his name increase in spite of the culture. May you hear the voice of God this morning.
Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. That's what it's about, guys. Um, our families scare us to death. Um, our culture scares us to death. I refuse to live in fear. Uh, as I like to say in a Tennessee way, I'm not smart enough to be afraid. Refuse to live that way. Not going to do it. Not afraid to make a mistake, not afraid to fail, not afraid, afraid to be corrected, not afraid of my brokenness, because his name is Jesus. That's what our lives are about, guys. Follow with me as we jump in um, to our study this morning, and may God open our hearts. Joshua, take the land, be the man. The book of Joshua is the book of conquest. The battlefield is Canaan, and it is where God keeps his promise that he made with Abraham. In this study, we will use the land possessed by Joshua and the people of Israel as a metaphor to understand how we take possession of what it means to be a Christian man. We will examine uh, 10 issues, and we've done that uh, the last several uh, months. Uh, we're on issue number nine today uh, that face men every day. Each day is a battle to be faced with courage, strength, and faith. You must be courageous, will you? Culture. What is your role? What is your role? Pick up your pen. Let's, let's do some journaling. Engage. We don't want to be passive. Way too many passive men. Engage. So question number one, where do you see your place of service? Where do you see your place of service? Are you a consumer or a participant? God wants us to be a participant. Bible says very clearly we've all been given gifts. Every man in this room is a gifted man. Um, where's your place of service? And if you, if you write down, I am committed uh, to imparting the gospel, to my grandbabies. Praise God. Good for you. Good for you. That's a calling right there. But I would hope that it even expands in concentric circles, much like what uh, God told uh, the apostles in Acts, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. You know, close by, a few miles away, and then the world at large. Where's your place of service? What do you want your legacy to be? What will they say at your funeral? He was a Tennessee fan. Oh, really? That, that's the best you're going to come up with? Yeah, that's depressing, right? Uh, that's, that's, what, that's what killed him. Yeah, exactly. That's what killed him. He heard Rocky talk one too many times and he just <laughs> fell over like the fainting goat. <laughs> All right, question number two. 
What question number two? What environment, people, or resources have have influenced your growth and maturity in your faith? Think about that for a minute. Who was it that spoke into your life, or what resource? What book? What environment has been most influential to you? Somebody felt the call of God on their life and spoke into you. There is not a man in this room. None of us are smart enough to figure this thing out. You know, God's way is an incarnational way. He puts Jesus with skin on it in our presence. Somebody, might have been your dad, might have been your grandfather, pastor, a teacher, a coach, spoke into your life. The reason I ask you that question is because I want you to consider the man or the resource that spoke into your life, you have the same opportunity to speak into somebody else's life. That's what that's about. Third question, what does it mean to live out Micah 6.8? Jeff, can you flash Micah 6.8 up there? Get a hold of that. <clears throat> Um, Micah 6 8. Most of you know that, and, and it's certainly in our study in culture, um, this is relevant. Um, Micah 6 8 says, but he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple do what is fair and just to your neighbor, be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. I love that. Now, in your study Bible, uh, it says something like, what does uh, God require of you? But to do right? Did my mic just go out, Jeff? It's off. Yes. You've got to get better. Got to get a batter. Yep. Yep. Um, so what does God require of you? But to do right, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. That's, that's what it says in your study Bible. So what I want you to do is I want you to take a minute, make a new friend, just turn to the guy next to you, and tease that out. What if? If that's all you had, if that's the one verse, if that was the John 3, 16, the only verse you knew, and that was the verse that says, okay, this is the way God wants us to live, what would that mean? How would you see that? How, how are you making application to that? To do right, um, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Talk that out with a friend. Go. We'll get batteries in the mic. <laughs> Let there be 
solitude, your time of quietness, uh, your journaling time, that you'll take the time to, to, to tease this out. What does it mean? Do right. What I, would, what I would say do right is about um, is gospel living. Somehow, how are you bringing the gospel into those around you. By his grace that we're willing to serve, by his grace we're willing to sacrifice, by his grace 
We are committed to a life of holiness, a purity to ourselves and especially to our neighbors, to our neighbors. That's what it means to do right, to be a servant, to be sacrificial, and to be holy because of God's grace to us that we can give to our neighbors in whatever form that means. You know, when Jesus told the parable uh, or, the, or the story of the Good Samaritan, you know what made that parable so poignant is that, you know what a Samaritan is? You know, a Samaritan uh, was a guy who lived in Samaria. Duh. You know, that was profound. But do you know what made Samaria so significant? Samaria was part of Israel. It was the capital of the north, the 10 tribes of the north. And so this guy was a, uh, was a Jew. So it wasn't like, you know, he wasn't like us, but he, he just simply lived up there. He was a northerner. And there's this Jewish guy from Judea, a southerner in a hole in the ditch and the northerner helps the southern isn't that funny how would that relate to us you know i grew up in tennessee it wasn't like i grew up in the north well maybe i did grow up in the north because when i got to mississippi you know many years ago and, and they started talking about the great war you know what i found out the great war was the civil war you know very different. I and I love the culture of the South, of Tennessee and Mississippi, but it's like, really, man? We're going to stretch this so far that I wouldn't help you, you know, because you're a Michigan fan, an Ohio State fan, or something like that? Do right by the gospel. This, this second piece is love mercy. Again, Love mercy, and it's all connected to the gospel. Relative to the gospel, what did you get from God that you didn't deserve? You got mercy. You got forgiveness. You got grace. What, what we deserved was judgment. And what we too often give to others is Judgment. Why did Satan, I mean, why, why did God not want Adam and Eve to eat of the tree? Um, it's because he knew that they, that we would become judgmental, that we would become like God, and we would start judging everything. And that's exactly what happened. No judgment is first and foremost what it means to love mercy. We didn't get what we deserve. And in order to execute the gospel well with our neighbors, we need to give them what they don't deserve. And that's mercy. We might pray every day, Lord, forgive us for our arrogance, being irritated with others and our critical spirit.
and especially to those who are in war. And then finally, this idea of humility. And again, our standard is the gospel. Walk humbly with your God. It is more critical to be convicted than condemning. We are too condemning. Quit being so arrogant, Phil. Look yourself in the mirror. You're not nearly as cool as you think you are. You know, chill out. Godly sorrow when we sin. In 2 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, you know, I didn't write that first letter, 1 Corinthians, to you guys um, to just make you feel bad about yourself. I wrote it so that there would be godly sorrow unto repentance, that you would be heartbroken and want to change, not just walking around feeling guilty and full of shame. Humble. Humble. You know, I, I, um, I'm, I'm amazed at my own arrogance. Um, it's quite large. Um, and it's like when I get called out on something and I start getting angry, it's like, really? I mean, that's not even a half of it. I'm angry because you're calling me out on this piece. If I really think about it for a minute, I'm actually a lot worse than you think I am. A lot worse. Walk humbly. Walk humbly. Do right. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Enjoy the culture. That's it right there. But there's a lot more. Turn over to Joshua. Chapter 22. Joshua uh, 22. Um, the land uh, has been divided. And um, Joshua is um, bringing organization and structure to the land. And this passage in Joshua 22 is, is again, about setting up how to live in the land. This is the way I want you to live. And in this passage, Joshua 22, let me read it. There's simple instructions that as um, everybody has their uh, section of land, the 12 tribes, there were three tribes that had settled uh, east of the Jordan. All the rest of the tribes were on the west side. And God had laid out in Deuteronomy how worship was to be handled. And worship was to be one altar, and worship was to take place there at that altar. Now watch what happens in Joshua 22. Then Joshua called together the Reubenites, makes me think of lunch, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He said, you have carried out everything Moses, the servant of God, commanded you, and you have obediently done everything I've commanded you. All this time and right down to this very day, you have not abandoned your brothers 
You shouldered the task laid on you by God, your God. And now God, your God, has given rest to your brothers just as he promised them. You're now free to go back to your homes, the country of your inheritance that Moses, the servant of God, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only this, this is very critical, verse 5. Be vigilant in keeping the commandment and the revelation that Moses, the servant of God, laid on you. In other words, it is God's word that will guide you. Be anchored in his word, the truth. Love God, your God. Walk in all his ways. Do what he's commanded. Embrace him. Serve him with everything you are and have. And then Joshua blessed them and sent them on their way. They went home to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Moses had assigned a share in Bashan. To the other half, Joshua signed land with their brothers west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them off to their homes, he blessed them. He said, go home. You're going home rich. Great herds of cattle, silver and gold, bronze and iron. Huge piles of clothing. Share the wealth with your friends and families. All this plunder from your enemies. Got it all. Enjoy. So what happens is the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh go uh, east across the Jordan, and they build an altar. And all hell starts to break loose. Because God had said clearly in his word that there would be one altar. And these three tribes, they go build an altar. And so all the other tribes are upset, and civil war is getting ready to break out. And so what happens then is they inquire. All the other tribes are mad, upset. They can't believe that the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh have built this other altar. And so if you jump down to verse 29, look what happens. Phineas, the high priest, the Supreme Court, if you will, they they take it before the court, and this is what happens. After they've done the, the uh, uh, investigation, uh, there's been an investigation. Verse 29, rebelling against or turning our backs on God is the last thing on our minds right now. This is the testimony of the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. We never dreamed of building an altar, altar for whole burnt offerings or grain offerings to rival the altar of our God in front of his sacred dwelling. Phineas, the priest, all the heads of the congregation, the heads of the military divisions of Israel who were also with him heard what the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had to say. They were satisfied. Wow. They considered what these guys were saying. And priest Phineas, son of Eleazar, said to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, now we're convinced that God is present with us since you haven't been disloyal to God in this manner. You saved the people of Israel from God's discipline. And then priest Phineas, son of Eleazar, left the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh from Gilad, and with the chiefs returned to the land of Canaan to the people of Israel and gave a full report. And they were pleased with the report. The people of Israel blessed God. There was no more talk of attacking and destroying the land in which the Reubenites and Gadites were living. Reuben and Gad named the altar a witness between us. God alone is God. Guys, this is an amazing passage. And it's an amazing passage because it speaks directly in 
to black and white thinking before a holy God. You ever met somebody who's very black and white? Very black and white. Very black and white. Rigid. In my counseling practice, we call that an immature person. Because in counseling words, what a healthy person can do is work with ambivalence. They can see both sides of an issue. And this passage is actually talking about the importance of not jumping to conclusions or making assumptions not based in fact. And as the investigation went on, they realized that the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh were not in any way trying to go against God's law. They wanted to be unified in worship. And there was flexibility even within God's law. The altar was a sign of unity, not rebellion, was the conclusion of the court. That's amazing. Even God's law is not as black and white, rigid as it may appear. And wisdom prevailed. The heart prevailed. Guys, I would say this, that from this passage is that we need to be committed to truth and unity. But we need to avoid in that truth a rigidity. I had a young couple in my office uh, this week and they were, uh, they were arguing about cultural issues. You can imagine what that might be. And every time he opened his mouth, he said, well, you know, I'm trying to tell her the truth. I mean, she doesn't believe what I'm telling her. It's the truth. It's the truth. It's the truth. And I said this to him. I said, all right, you're on out in my office. You cannot use that word anymore because he was using it as a hammer because he believed. I, I respected what he believed. But guess what? She didn't see it that way. And every time he used the word truth, what was that communicating to her? That she was wrong. He wasn't, he wasn't really using it the way it would be appropriate because as I said to him, I said, what you're talking about is not nearly as two plus two equals four as you believe it is. I respect that you believe that, but there's lots of other people who would believe differently and that's our culture all over the place. I respect what you believe, but you know, that which you believe in many ways about our culture, you can find three other people that would believe different than hammer their fist all day. Not cool. So we're unified in the truth of the essentials. What we believe is essential is that Jesus is the only provision for our sin. And without him, how about that? How about that? There is power in the name of Jesus. In so many other things, you say tomato and I say tomato. You know, before we can get our panties in a wad so quickly over the non-essentials. We are to walk with God. We are to walk faithful. Now I want to I want to jump down to this cultural piece. Those are, those, are the, those are the pieces in Joshua. 
But I want to come back to, to, to culture. Where are you? Where are you? Where in my community is my influence as a Christian needed most? I need to be a participant, not just a consumer. I need to be active. Interesting quote by James Davison Hunter in his book, To Change the World. He says this, our job is not to transform our culture let alone the world. Our job is to do the specific thing God has called us to do, whether that is being a light of the gospel in our neighborhood, relieving world hunger or whatever. Our job is to do that faithfully and well and to let God take care of transforming the culture. Guys, there's so many things out here that we read about in the newspaper, on the news and all that. I, I can't get my head around. You know, but if I stay focused on that, I miss the person that God will, might want me to have a conversation with right in front of me. You know, if you're so macro focused that you miss the micro task that God has, then you're out of balance. Living in the culture is about understanding your corner of the world. God wants each of us to find some unredeemed corner of culture and claim it for the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ. Um, you know, there's so many things about our culture that can confuse us and challenge us. I was listening this past weekend uh, on my exercise walk to a podcast about Robert E. Lee. You remember him? Robert E. Lee. I canceled, you know, godly man. But he was caught up um, in his time, just like we all are. Um, I love Robert E. Lee, godly man, godly man. In the podcast, this researcher uh, who's written a biography of Robert E. Lee told the story of um, that I'd never heard when Robert E. Lee uh, signed the uh, uh, papers at uh, Appomattox to end the Civil War with Ulysses uh, S. Grant, he got on Traveler and he rode the street um, and left Appomattox to his home in Richmond. And he walked up the steps and there was crowds um, uh, there to see him. And he walked in his house for the last time with his uniform on uh, except for photo takes. And he walked in his house. And several days later, there was a knock on his door. And um, an old soldier that had a sling on, he was from Texas, a Texas soldier showed up at his door. And um, Robert E. Lee uh, was upstairs and uh, the, uh, the gentleman that, that opened the door um, invited the soldier in, and the soldier said, I just want to see uh, uh, the man that has led us, and I just want to be able to stand across from him. And um, the doorsman said, well, uh, General Lee is not receiving uh, friends at this time, receiving anybody. 
He said, please, sir. I just want to stand before the general. So he goes upstairs and he gets Robert E. Lee and Robert E. Lee uh, comes down. And uh, Lee uh, greets him. And the soldier looks at him. And he speaks. He can't, he can't say anything. He can't say anything. He speaks. Guys, in this culture, those kinds of stories get lost. You know, someday, if they ever talk about men's roundtable on Thursday morning, you know, years from now, you know, they might say, well, you know, that Phil guy was okay, but he didn't wear socks. And, you know, we just, we just don't do non-socks, you know? You need to quit listening to those old, old tapes of Phil Harden at Men's Roundtable because he didn't wear socks. And we've got to the point that if you don't wear socks, you're not a godly man. Really? I mean, to me, that's about how crazy we've gotten in our culture. Have we not? And I'm, and I'm saying once again, uh, gentlemen, that we can make all kinds of judgments on history, trying to judge history in the present. You know, godly men, as we all are, we do the best we can to walk with God in the context of culture. And we may be judged. We're not wearing socks someday. It can be that silly. I want to close this morning with John 17. This is the words of Jesus. John 17. Jesus said this. And it, this is all a prayer. Jesus says this, John 17, and I'm some, somewhere around verse 11. Jesus says in his prayer, and my life is on display in them. My life is on display in them. What if the closest thing to Jesus anybody would see is you? That's a, that's a sobering thought, is it not? And my life is on display in them, and for I'm no longer going to be visible in the world. They'll continue in the They'll be my visible representation of the gospel. It's a large responsibility, guys. While I return to you, Holy Father, guard them as they pursue this life that you've conferred as a gift through me so they can be one heart and mind as we are one heart and mind. As long as I was with them, I guarded them. In the pursuit of the life you gave through me, I even posted a lookout and not one of them got away, except for the rebel bent on destruction, the exception that proved the rule of scripture, even God. I mean, even uh, Jesus uh, had one guy. Now I'm returning to you and I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so my people can experience my joy 
so that my people can experience my joy completed in him. Guys, I want to live every day in the joy of the Lord. Living out as best I know how in a crazy culture and not listening to all of the noise that would strike fear in me so that I would be anchored in simply the gospel. There is power in the name of Jesus. May we live that out joyfully. Father, I thank you uh, so much for the life you've given us in you. We are citizens of the kingdom, first and foremost, Lord. I thank you for my brothers and the time you've given us here this morning. May we be a reflection of you and your power to those that we come in contact uh, with today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.